This is On Call with Dr. Dave, and today I'm talking to Dr. Sasa, and Dr. Sasa is a breast reconstruction surgeon. So not only are you a surgeon that works on the breast, but also you did an oncology fellowship in breast cancer and reconstruction. And we were talking before we started recording about how unique that is that you are the one removing the cancer and doing lymph node dissection and the initial surgery. And you also do the reconstruction, which a lot of breast surgeons don't do themselves. That's right. Um, I, it is kind of a unique position that I'm in. I did my fellowship in a certain hospital that allowed me to really explore what my interests were. And I knew coming from fellowship that I wanted to go into a place that was a little bit more rural that didn't necessarily have a lot of the reconstruction providers that the bigger cities would have. And so in addition to the oncology part of the fellowship, I really honed in on the reconstruction. So that does include a lot of the implant reconstruction as well as reductions in mastopexies, mastopexies being breast lifts. And I'll get into that in a little bit, but I think it's really important when patients are diagnosed with breast cancer. My biggest, um, I guess my, my, of course, everyone's priority is getting rid of the breast cancer, but I really at my core, absolutely freaking hate breast cancer. And I really want patients to realize that there's a, a life after it. And part of that life after it is being able to like, look at, look at yourself in the mirror and being happy with what you see. So I think really that's what drives me to do what I keep doing, what I'm doing, which is getting rid of the cancer, but also being happy with what you're seeing and not being reminded of your surgeon every morning when you're looking in the mirror. Um, so yeah, so I do both the cancer part as well as the reconstruction. And breast cancer is the number one cancer that a female is going to have to deal with. It's more likely than any other cancer it if is. you're a woman. And so you will encounter this either with a loved one or with yourself. And so I think it's important to talk about it and just be aware of. And I like how you said, like, I tell people that I'm a catch and release doctor. My goal is to fix what they have and then let them go back to their normal life and to not yes. think about me. Yeah, absolutely. I think because it th there are a couple of it, cancer when you get diagnosed with it, it's just you lose a lot of that control and being able to regain that control back and regaining that life back is so empowering and it allows you not only to to live the life after that cancer diagnosis, but really to get through that initial treatment because. I, I think without that that hope, uh, it's really difficult. I've seen it just really tear some patients apart to not have that. So I love I, I love being able to guide them through that. And yes, I would love to never see them again, except for at the gym or in the mall mm -hmm. or <laughs> yeah. you know um, mountain biking somewhere. Um, but I I think that's really what drives me to do what I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think surgeons in general were kind of we want to fix and move yes. on. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, I, I, I don't want to give you a new blood pressure pill and see you back in six months and see if it's working or not working. Yeah. Y'all are not a, a wait and see people. Yeah, increase the <laughs> dose or add a second agent. I'm just like, I, I want to fix what you have wrong. And then, <laughs> then you're fixed and I'm happy and you're happy. Yeah. So. Well, so, so one of the things, and I, I, I'm sorry to kind of dive, digress over here, but you know, with cancer, right? You take out the cancer and it's just, it's awesome. They come to the hospital that morning and they're like, hey, I'm so nervous. I'm, I'm I don't wanna do this surgery. And I just, I walk into their room in pre-op and I'm like, dude, this is, this is a great day. 
right? Because mm -hmm. we get rid of the cancer and you go home without it. You're coming to the hospital with it. You go home without it. That's awesome. You literally wake up and it's like a surgery. I mean, and <laughs> of course we're surgeons, so we were a little biased, <laughs> but I think it's a little bit like magic. It is. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Um, but I do a ton of reductions. I've got to tell you, Dave, the, the reductions um, are almost, not quite, but almost quite as like uh, as fulfilling as breast cancer cases because literally in the PACU, in the PACU where they recover after surgery, patients are amazed at how much less back pain and shoulder pain they have. Which You're is that early. Yes, like immediately when they wake wow. up. Wow. It is so cool. Yeah. Well, we just talked to a nurse and we were talking about amputations and this person had an I'm amputation. sorry, amputations? You went from breast reduction. <laughs> we did. So uh, I'm, I'm going to tie it I'm going to tie it together though. But she, she was talking like, and, and she expected this person, she'd never seen an amputation. She was expected this person to be very sad and very down because they'd lost a body part. Yeah. And that person was just ecstatic because she said, this leg has been doing nothing but dragging me down and giving me problems and now it's free and i'm free and i'm able to just live my life and so it was this turnaround and so awesome. it just kind of made me think with the breast reduction it's just like it's limiting your mobility mm -hmm. it's giving you back pain and it's now all of a sudden your life is back you can dance without pain you can go just or just live your day and you go to shop. sleep without yes. your back hurting yes, yes. <laughs> or I'm shop off the rack yeah, you can shop off the <laughs> yes. rack Bras are so much cheaper. Yes, bras are so much cheaper. <laughs> bras is, and I, you, know, you don't have to wear a bra if you don't want to, really, <laughs> which is fine. Um, no, but it's 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 amazing. And I do have patients coming back like a year after surgery, and I have older ones come back and and just cry in clinic. Just I, I like to see them a year out just to make sure that you know I, I like to see what I've done. Mm -hmm. um, little pat on the back kind of thing. <laughs> but a lot of them come back and they're just crying and they're like, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier, um, which is really touching, but also, you know, that's encouraging. And then the other thing that they do, I, I do see a lot of patients who lose weight, but it's because they haven't been able to work out and now they can. And it's, mm -hmm. and then you're right. It's just, it's a life, like you're free to do whatever you want. Well, and we always make snap judgments of people. So you maybe see somebody that's a little overweight and you may make a judgment in your mind, but maybe she's limited because of the breast size. I remember in medical school, we did a cadaver dissection and our cadaver was a little bit larger of a person. And that's nice of you to say. <laughs> and then, but there was a snap judgment in my brain, you know, yeah. like who is this person? Why? And we did a dissection and we got down to the tibia. So the bone in the lower leg and it had been shattered. And it was basically had been fixed, but poorly, or she would just have a bad surgeon or healed poorly. But this tibia looked horrible. And I thought, mm. this poor lady, it must have hurt every day to walk on it. And my snap judgment was like, oh, she's a little overweight. And it's just like, of course she is. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be walking yeah. around with a tibia broken like that. And it just instantly changed my perspective to learn something about somebody. And most of the stuff we learn about people is not going to be doing surgery on them. But... I think the no more we get to know people and patients, the more we just understand their story and we give yeah. people a little bit more grace and we say, of course you haven't been able to do that until now. And now, now you can. And mm -hmm. so I think that's great about what we do is we give people kind of new life, new opportunities. Yeah, I agree. I think um, that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we do as surgeons, right? I think that's really what drew me to the field is you get to see that immediate gratification and it is very, 
self uh, self um, selfish of me, I guess, to just <laughs> be able to get that. Um, but it does give it gives it, it makes residency, it makes every 60, 80, 100 hour work week just worth it, I think. Yeah, I mean, and not that I do any 100 hour work weeks anymore. <laughs> guys. No, 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 I'm way too old for that now. <laughs> I would not go back to those days. I, I'm through it. I'm glad I'm through it. But oh my gosh, if I had to do it again, I, I don't think so. How did we do that? Oh, I, oh. I was do much you remember? I was much younger back Ashley, then. Actually, like, how I, did he? Do you remember not seeing I him was ever? Too, I was too busy trying to hold down the fort here, but I I think that we were just so we were younger, right? We could run on less sleep, and we just put our head down and went. But there yeah. is an amazing amount of the of there is an amazing amount of things that you can accomplish when you know there's an end date. If you, true. if you know that something's <laughs> coming to an end, you will plow through That's true. until it's done. And I think that a lot of, I mean, I know people who sign up for this, but I'm the same way. It's just like, we just, we're just very good soldiers, man. We just put our head down and move. And that's, yeah. I think that's how we did it. But the downside is we had end dates and so we were willing to sacrifice as much as we did. And so some of that was just stuff that I probably didn't need to because my tendings would hint that they needed me there for different things or that if I took my vacation time, I was somehow less, uh, you dedicated. know, less of a doctor, yes. less dedicated. Yes. It's like, but we have workout restrictions for reason. We have time off for reason, but it was almost, it, not almost, but it was frowned upon to use it. And so even date nights or vacations with the family, I would cut short. So I was, you know, like seen as a good doctor, a good resident. And going back, I would work just as hard in the hours I was supposed to be there. But the hours I wasn't, I think I would dedicate more of my time to my family and to my kids because there's a lot of missed time in those years that I can't get back. Yeah. And luckily, Ashley stuck around through it all because there was an end date. But as we got closer to the end date, it was like, oh, do we want to be together? Because she was taking care of the family and the kids, mm -hmm. and I was taking care of medicine and work. And then at the end, we're like, oh, hi, who are you? <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah. And then the end date was there. We're like, oh, like I don't know if we are compatible. Like, let's figure yeah. that out. But I, I think we could have done things better. Mm -hmm. Is what I'm saying. Yes. There and uh, when you're mentioning this right now, and I and I don't mean to be on such a like a serious thing, but two things that come off of this is one, I've been doing a lot of girl reading. Have you ever read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg? Actually? I have. I'll have to put it on my it's, list. I mean, it's amazing, and there's a bunch of other books like Women Don't Ask and mm -hmm. Ask for It and all that stuff. It's just a, a lot about how women and Dave men do this too. Clearly, but we are afraid to do things for fear that we're not going to be looked at the same way as a guy does, like taking maternity leave, right? Yeah. Especially during residency. I mean, how much time do you have during residency um, to take maternity leave? There's zero time. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, taking time off, but I want you to can you look into it, Ashley? I will look into it. Lean in. 100%. Not that I'm like promoting this in, in your podcast, but it's so And I'm this episode is brought to you by Lean In by. It's, I'm such a feminist, like I'm such a girl power kind of girl. Mm -hmm. I did my residency at me. It's the first time that five categorical residents, the first, the interns were all girls. So it was an awesome kind of intro to, you know, girl power. Um, and so I've been on this little girl power kick. I, I try to get as many girls mm -hmm. as possible into medicine, into surgery, like moving up in the ranks kind of thing. 
um, because I think it's just so it's it's I don't know it's important for me Um, but the other thing too is it's sad Dave you mentioned you know at the end of your residency you're looking at your wife and looking at somebody almost like a stranger there are so many residents of my co-residents who got divorced Mm -hmm. during residency and it is it is sad it is it is a very hard thing to have to go through because there is it's it is necessary to have to spend that time but it's also important to remember that there's another part of you that was there as that is there who is there as well mm-hmm. yeah well um, and like you said getting women into medicine the way surgery training has been established the way medical schools have been established have been by just a bunch of guys that used yeah. to be residents that would not even be allowed to be married and they lived in the hospital and that's why they yeah. were called residents and so this whole system was built up around men not having families and mm-hmm. lives and living in the hospital and that's how this system was created and so men are probably not going to be the ones that change the whole system because it's worked for us and we need the women's perspective and say why are you guys doing this like don't do it this way like kind of dismantling it a, to a certain degree and to rebuild yeah. it because I even remember one of my co-residents took a week because his wife had a baby and he took a week of paternity leave. And I thought, what And that would blew the roof off, I'm sure. I know, because yeah. I was on Q3 call and then he left for a week and I was on Q2 that week. And I thought like, how dare you do that to me? And now I look back and think like, why did I not do that? Why did I not push for time off with a new baby like to support my wife? And why was I just so willing to just say, oh, back to the hospital, good luck, honey, bye. Yeah, like, like that was normal. It's not normal. I should have asked for as much time off as they would have given me. No, absolutely. Oh, oh my gosh. Six months, guys. Insane. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine Ashley having him? I probably would have had to kick him out of the house. <laughs> like, okay, three's good. You can go now. <laughs> We're good over here. But I could have yeah. mountain biked and then come home That's and then true. you could have gone to do things I and I could have been home. As- it would have been really great. Yeah. But also at the time, you know, when we were going through, I was working from home and I had my son on what a Saturday and I was working from home on my computer a week later because that's what we needed to do because I got to put yeah. food on the table. No, yeah. And right. so it was. And he wasn't bringing home the money yet. No, no, <laughs> no he wasn't. No, I was, I was spending bit. a lot of money. I was. Yeah, <laughs> it was like 45 yeah. a year. I mean, yeah. didn't it sound like a lot of money that year? <laughs> but I, I so mean, much. I'm trying to put together some resources for spouses of people going through medical training um, for them to be able to not lose their identity to this altar of medicine where you uh, can put yourself and your relationship in a position that um, keeps you empowered, I guess, and keeps you connected so that people don't end up looking at each other like, I don't know if I know you anymore, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, I thought that's amazing. I think that would be great, but I, do we have something like that for medical students Um, to just be able to say, Hey, you are going to go through residency and it's, and you've got to support your significant other too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's something we're we're batting around doing. I love it. Mm -hmm. So just better support, just time. Mm -hmm. We're just thinking about it, having those conversations and changing this system. It's come a long way since living in the hospital, but it's still not really compatible with how humans are supposed to live. And the older doctors look, 
down on the new doctors that even consider lifestyle and their choices of career. Mm -hmm. And yet we do want to stay with our spouses. I want to have my kids know me. I, I need to be there for my kids. And, and I'm still a great doctor. And having that connection with my kids and my family helps me interact with my patients because my patients are not people that are missing out on their lives most of the time. And so how am I supposed to counsel them about life choices yeah. and decisions if I'm your life is a mess. If I don't have a life. <laughs> but I don't That's have true. people that care about me and I care about them. It, I just don't think you can be as good of a doctor unless you are a good human first. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it, you're right. Medicine's changing and and whether or not it's fast enough, it is at least changing. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot more, I, I think, supportive uh, mentors in the in the field and a lot more um, resources that we can reach out to. Um, but there's still some work to be done. Mm -hmm. But Definitely. it's nice to it's 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 I think it's great because with the rise in the number of women in medicine, there is a little bit more of a push about and I'm not saying that men didn't do this before, but maybe they didn't enough. I think women were pushing a lot more of that work-life balance just mm -hmm. because of our necessary need to get out of the mm -hmm. hospital when you do have a child or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, important changes. Yeah, yeah. to the benefit of everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. To the mm -hmm. benefit of men, Go women. <laughs> women, everything, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I do want to hear some of your stories. We've kind of sidetracked into just uh, medicine in general. But I do want to hear a couple of your stories about interactions with patients and some of those fun stories you like to tell other people. Yeah. Um, well, so I think the biggest thing for me are well, there. There are a couple that come to mind. A couple that are not necessarily the most fun, but kind of poignant. Um, it's uh, I had a patient who was twenty, who was diagnosed at nineteen, and she. Um, this is a person who's really stuck with me for years now. Um, she was one of my very first patients. She was diagnosed at 19 and um, went through some chemotherapy. And we met after she kind of didn't finish her chemotherapy and was progressing. Ultimately, she underwent surgery for, um, it was a bilateral breast cancer. She had four children at the age of 23. Wow, wow. And I know, and um, carried this genetic mutation that caused that initial breast cancer. Um, but she is somebody, and she's somebody that I, you know, sorry, to backtrack a little bit, I gave, and I still sometimes give my phone, my cell phone number to patients, because that's a practice that one of my attendings had started me getting into. And I know we were just talking about work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do the same. I do the but same. You, do, you feel a little bit of connection with some of these patients and you're like, I really need you to reach out to me personally when you need to. So she was one of those people and uh, she, everybody had just given up on her. Do you ever have those patients where like everyone's just given up on her? And I just kept pushing her. I remember bringing her like, in shores to her house oh, went to her so and just and but she ultimately died um but i think the biggest thing that i took from that patient is that i can't i think if people had pushed her earlier we would have been we would have a different outcome 
And I'm sorry to start on this kind of story, but it's one of those things that I just, it really stays with me that when you have a patient that you just really feel for. And I think if, if we as a medical community might be able to just push a little bit more and not give up so easily, it might be a little bit different um, for some patients. Maybe not everyone, but I think everyone just saw her as somebody who was like, hey, we don't care because she doesn't care about herself. I think at the at the at the end of it all, she really did try, um, but she just needed that extra help to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things that I that that also when when I think about what keeps me in this field, it's it's that it's knowing that I care enough about certain about patients that I I know I can make a difference in in in, in a little girl's life because she is a little girl. She's she little, a little, yeah. Girl. She's nineteen. Mm-hmm. She's a kid. Yeah. And that's one of the things that has wanted me or made me want to be a better communicator. Because if I can really communicate to the patients appropriately what's going on, and if they can understand, then they may commit to the treatment plan early or yes. like follow my advice. Because a lot of times people don't follow my advice because they don't understand it. Sometimes when patients have a complication and I say, well, that was you know clearly written in the discharge instructions. And they say, well, I didn't really understand why you put it in there or why that was important, so I didn't do it. And the part of me wants to say, you don't need to understand, just follow my instructions and just do what I tell you to do. <laughs> and I thought, well, people, people, people need to buy in though. They, they want yeah. to know why. So you need to have them buy in. And if I don't communicate that well enough to them, they just don't buy in. And then it's just something they're told to do and they may not understand how important this moment is or the early intervention or the yes. early diagnosis. And so I need to be better at communicating, not just walking in, saying a bunch of big words and walking out, really watching the patient, asking questions. What did you understand? What did you not understand? And it's hard and it takes time. It really is very hard, isn't it? (laughs) And don't you feel like you're just repeating yourself over and over again? But you've got to remember that these people are gone. This is the first time they've ever done surgery for many of them. Mm -hmm. And even though you're doing it every single day, multiple times a day, it's you've got to give each one the appropriate time and the appropriate attention because otherwise yeah yeah yeah. i just missed opportunities i have been known to record like voice record the doctor not they know right or the nurse for instructions (laughs) it it is it is nice to ask permission because if you get recorded without you knowing that doesn't help the doctor patient relationship no Uh, but i i remember (laughs) when my son was in the hospital and we left with um a pick line and needing to give intravenous medicine through this pick line i was very concerned I was very overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. and i didn't i didn't know what i was doing and so yeah. i filmed the nurse with her instructions so that i could watch it over and over again and i could listen to it and it really really helped me out <laughs> so no that's good do you ever do you ever as you're like saying all these instructions i i i did it today i had like a, a couple of patients that came in for their pre-operative discussion and I just, I'm babbling all, all this stuff off. And I'm like, I wonder if they're like listening to me at all. <laughs> I mean, you'd give them paperwork, yeah. but then like, if I, if I was on the other side of that, like, do, do, do I, would I remember any of them? <laughs> right? And you say it so often that it almost becomes a routine. Yes. I could literally say my discharge or my pre-op speech while I was typing. I could be watching Netflix and I could say all the same words. 
it wouldn't it wouldn't land the same way i'm sure obviously to the (laughs) patient but i've said it so many times yeah but like you said it's are they paying attention and so you're watching for those cues but it's it's difficult because Mm -hmm. like you said i do it every day and they do it once and but it needs to be important every single time I do it. And it's hard to maintain that level of it matters that much every time, but it, it definitely can. It, yeah, it really does. I agree. I agree because I, a patient will just call the next day and be like, Hey, I asked X, Y, and Z. And you're like, I it just went through that with you. So yeah, then exactly. <laughs> and you get frustrated, but then you realize, well, and that's when I kind of pull it back and I say, this is probably my fault. Actually, this is my fault for having just done my rote like my my routine my routine spiel and I should have like done a lot more and I think that's what medicine as much as medicine is this um repetitive you know the more you do it the better you are and the, the and everything is just each each single interaction is still so important definitely and is and a as a plus a, a potential for improvement so yeah yeah, every single time you can do it better. Every time a patient asks a question, I try to sit back and say, did they ask that question because just I didn't explain it well? Could I explain it better? Or yeah. was it just they missed that at that point? Because if somebody's asking a question, probably multiple other people just didn't understand it either and yeah. didn't ask the question. So if somebody's yeah. brave enough to ask me what that means or a follow-up question or they call and ask something we definitely talked about, for some reason, I didn't do a good enough job or they tuned out, but it's always better to be introspective and say, could I have done that better for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we started with kind of a, a difficult one, a 19 year old with uh, metastatic cancer that passed <laughs> sorry, away at 24. Sorry guys, sorry. No, I, was, I was, well, we, she's just, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's those things that stick with us. It's yeah. not, it's not the happy ones that sometimes is. Oh, but okay, hold on, yeah. hold on. I do have a tiny little happy one. <laughs> There's a, okay, just really quick. It's a girl who I did a breast reduction on and she woke up literally as soon as the LMA was taken out of her mouth. She's like, guys, guys, did I tell you my my song? And we're like, what? She's <laughs> like, I, I, did I tell you my song? My neck, my back, my titties just got whacked. <laughs> 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 I'm like, you're the best thing ever. Thank and you so much. I really appreciate that. And she's just coming straight out of anesthesia. And she, oh, she had to tell God. you that. Literally, just literally LMA just came out. <laughs> I mean, I woke up from anesthesia once and I couldn't even speak English for an hour, let alone tell you the song I, I had written the day before. Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's my 19-year-old. And this one was, a, I think she was like 24 or something. <laughs> Both very memorable. Most people are concerned they're going to do something memorable or inappropriate as they go to sleep or wake up. And most of the time, it's very boring. I tell patients it's really rare that they say anything inappropriate or funny as they go to sleep. But every once in a while, it's hilarious. I have Mm -hmm. one patient, and the patient before was super nervous that she was going to say something. And I'm like, most people don't. Don't worry about it. And she didn't. But the very next patient woke up. I'm doing kind of a conscious sedation type surgery. You can drift in and out of sleep. Halfway through the surgery, she wakes up just enough and says, yeah, my boobs are asymmetric, but my husband likes them, so it's okay. (laughs) And then just is asleep again. Two seconds later. (laughs) 
And we just start laughing and she's out cold. She's out cold again. She has no memory of this at all. Please and tell I, me you told her that afterwards. You have to have told her that out. Come on. I don't I don't remember if I did. I honestly don't. I might have just said, I don't know if she's gonna want to know that, but I, I could have. I don't remember if I told I, I I mean, I'm surprised you weren't like, I've got somebody that can help you with that. <laughs> I know, I know a gal I know a that, person, can, yeah. that can help yeah. you out. Well, I mean, I think if you had told her that would allow her to share that story with her husband, so then maybe he would appreciate the asymmetry even more because yeah. she really liked it. Yeah, it's like I do like I do like it. It's unique. You're you know? right. Yeah. I do like yeah. it. Yeah. I do I when as patients go off to sleep though, I do ask them, so who really is your favorite child? And <laughs> Because, you know, when you first meet patients and in the office, you're like, hey, how many kids do you have? And one of my like running things is, so which one's your favorite? And they're like, oh, I don't have a favorite. I can never have. Wait, how many kids do you guys have? Two. Uh-huh. Who's your favorite? We love them both <laughs> just the same. Just blah, the blah, same. Blah, just mm -hmm. like that. We, they're so different and yada, yada. Right. Um, so whenever, as they go to sleep, they inevitably tell me who their favorite one is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great blackmail list if you were evil. Yes. Like, thank goodness you're good, but uh, that'd be a great way to blackmail a lot of people. I love it. I love it. It's just, it's it's a good way for them to kind of relax and not that they're ever going to remember what they said for the most part, um, <laughs> but it's a good way for them to kind of relax as they're going off to sleep. Yeah. I don't, you know, most people don't remember what they say or do right before, right after waking up, but I still think it somehow affects people. I do think that if you yeah. go in, because I used to do surgery when I was in fellowship on a lot of people, there's a lot of gang violence in Baltimore. And we put people to sleep right after getting stabbed or shot. Yeah. And they're, they're like really nervous and scared right before going in. And when they come out, they are just still fighting. So yeah. even those moments where you know, they're not going to remember, I still talk them through it because I just want them like, to no matter what they I think they have a vibe of how things went or at least yeah. you know kind of like who you were so like even if they're like basically asleep I'm still like hey I'm gonna like inject the local might feel yes. a little poke they're not even breathing they're not moving there's no way they're gonna ever remember that but I think the body's still gonna react and so I still will talk them kindly through it same thing in the ICU people are anesthetized you know and then intubated have the tube down there there you know what most people call medically induced coma that's what the uh, the lay mm -hmm. people love to say it's like mm -hmm. yeah they're they're intubated on, on medications, yeah, medications but yeah. yeah a medically induced coma i still go in and say i'm you know i'm your doctor this is what i'm going to do i'm going to open your eyes i'm going to push here sorry if that hurts and it may or may not matter but on the off chance it does it's so easy to take that extra step and still keep your voice calm and pleasant and introduce yourself. And so I, I still like to do that even when people are sleeping and still feeling oh, yeah. like they're fully awake and you never know. Yeah, no, as they go to sleep, I, I again, I, you pick up these habits from your attendings as you're training at, a, at an attending who would always just go to her, to the, the patient, always there as the patient's going to sleep and just kind of rubbing her hand. And patients sometimes remember that. And it just does kind of, re relax you a little bit and just makes you feel like hey your cancer doctor is here and is with you the entire time yeah um and so i tend i find myself doing that as well i think yeah. not just not because they're going to remember it i think it makes me feel better i don't know well but i don't I, like i said i don't know if they remember it like as far as they could describe it but they might yeah. know how they felt yes I, right i had this big strong guy and he was getting surgery 
and just had all the things to be confident in the, of the world. And we had to, we were doing surgery. We we're trying to keep him a little bit awake, but he was having difficulty with that. So we decided to put him all the way to sleep. And so in the like three to five minutes when we're getting things ready to go all the way to sleep, he's awake a little bit, but he's heavily medicated. And he just says, doctor, can I hold your hand? And he reaches up and holds my hand. Aww. And then he starts, he grabs my hand and he starts rubbing the top of my hand. And he's like, thank you so much for holding my hand. He's a, then he starts saying like, it's been a tough month and his girlfriend just broke up with him. And, you know, he's kind of nervous for the surgery and it's so nice that I'm there. And thank you again for holding my hand. And then he went all the way to sleep. And I guarantee he doesn't remember that at all, yeah. but he needed that in that moment. Yeah. And yeah. just the medication sometimes un unroof <laughs> who we really are. Yes. No, I agree. And like who I your gotta, favorite kid is. Yeah. yeah. And I got to see this sweet side of this big muscle bound guy that's, you know, twice as strong as me, but still needed me to hold this hand. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, it is, it's a, it's a great time. It's a, a little scary for the patient. Well, definitely scary for the mm -hmm. patients. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, going to sleep myself for a surgery and I was like, I, all, the only thing I could remember was I hope I don't pee myself. <laughs> that was the only thing I remember. But don't do not, a Foley. I don't want to pee myself, but please don't, don't do a Foley. Don't, 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 no, not at all. No. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, you know, medicine has changed a lot. I think we, maybe there weren't a lot of people who were doing that, like thinking about how patients went to sleep, but, and, and, and being like you and I are now, which we, we understand that even though they're not going to remember everything specifically, they might remember certain ways that they feel. And I think that's probably a lot different than what it used to be. Um, the way that we train now is a lot different than what we used to be. I think the way we think about patient care, um, and and what we focus on not just the medicine part is is also different than what it used to be and i think well sorry this is kind of a patient story but not really one of my patients and one of the things that i've come to really start talking to my patients about is sex um and when we don't talk about it at all we don't talk about it no. and i'm in a breast cancer field right right this is breast cancer and you don't necessarily think breast breast cancer sex but there are a lot of things with cancer treatments that can affect your sexuality and I'll, and you know, i'm not going to say how old i am but um i'm getting to a point where i'm going to think about menopause at some point i'm going to think about all the things that change as i get older um and i do start talking i had a patient talk to me and say hey it hurts when i have sex, sexual intercourse. And the, again, another thing that changed with, that has been changing with medicine now more so than before is that we're talking to the patient, not just about their breast cancer disease, but all the things that come across and affect them as a woman or a man mm -hmm. and what we can do about it. Um, so going back to the patient stories, I think it's, it's, it's a patient, it's a couple of patients that have been really making me think the, differently now about how I do my own practice of medicine, partially because I'm going to go through it soon and not breast cancer, but mm -hmm. changes, right? Menopausal yeah. changes. Um, yeah, sorry. That was another quick digression, but I, before I forgot to mention that, yeah, I wanted course, to yeah. say it, it's so, I think, and, and it's so important for us to think about things other than the medicine itself again, things like going off to sleep. It's not just about the surgery. It's about everything around it. 
not just about the cancer, it's everything around it. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, what we mentioned building a women's hospital earlier that I'm really interested in building a women's hospital in, in the city. Um, that's one of the things that I want to do. I want to talk about sex. I want to talk about sexual health. I want to talk about menopausal health. I want to talk about the breast cancer and treatments for breast cancer, as well as the treatments that, that, um, that are for the side effects of the treatment for breast <laughs> cancer. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's one of Well, and that all relates to what we were talking about earlier about getting the patients to buy into what they're doing and why they're doing and the motivation. And if you are missing so many parts of what makes them a person. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they're, they're never going to follow the treatment plan the way you intend it to be. If all of a sudden it hurts to have sex or they feel like they're relationship may never be the same if they go through with a double mastectomy or what's yeah. my husband going to think or if I'm on hormone blockers how am I going to feel like a woman if I'm on hormone blockers and it's blocking the you know the estrogen and the progesterone and how, like, if you don't address that then some of those fears are going to stop them from actually doing yeah. as well as they could or even if they go through it and you don't have that conversation how are they going to navigate that how are they yeah. going to and so if it's awkward for the doctor to bring it up, just imagine how awkward it is for the patient to bring up. So we need to be comfortable talking about anything and yeah. everything that affects Absolutely. that. Patient. Yeah. As a patient, it's, it's always more information. I mean, the, if I can be prepared and not be surprised about the outcome of one treatment, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, because if, if I have something happen to me that I didn't know was coming, it makes me rethink a lot of my decisions, you know, my decision to even treat this in the first place. And you hear all the time, people are like, I never should have gone to the doctor. I never should have gone to the hospital right. you know, yeah. because yeah. they weren't fully aware of what is going to happen after that initial treatment. It's like, okay, well then you've got this happening and this habit is happening. So, um, yeah, just more information is best. Little surprises, just no surprises. <laughs> no, that's true. I, and I mean, again, we, I wish we had like 5 million minutes to spend with each patient, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. to be able to, to pick out what might be the most pertinent for that particular patient. Like, you know, I do treat a lot of young women with breast cancer and when they go through chemotherapy, vagina gets dry, they lose their sex drive. Um, they lose their hair and you're right, Dave. Like a lot of these people are like, cut them off. And I'm like, yo, yo, wait, <laughs> you do lose sensation to your nipples when you do a nipple sparing mastectomy. Mm -hmm. Like, let's think a little bit about this. And I always tell them, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I am a surgeon and I love to operate, right? Like that's yeah. what, that's what mm -hmm. makes my life go around. But at the same time, like you really want to do it only when it's necessary. So I think speaking to each individual is so important and taking the time with each person is so important. Um, yeah. I agree. Like the patients deserve it. We're, yeah. we're kind of stuck in a system that doesn't really allow for time. And yet I think that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest things we're fighting for with these patients yeah. is time to be able to do a good job, time to spend with them. So they feel heard, they have their questions answered. And the system wants you to go quicker, see more, do more, you know, get paid less. And you're like, no, we need to slow down and do less for like, but to be able to do more. <laughs> so that's why you give them your cell phone. Yeah. No, <laughs> kidding, all, no. no honestly, like all my surgery patients get my cell phone, like every it's single, every single one. Yeah. 
And it's just, I, I, most are you of still them, doing that every single time? At most of them, like most of them really don't only reach out yeah. when they need it. Most, like so many people are so respectful of that. Honestly, I get more calls because they just accidentally call me instead of the office and they say, oh, I'm that's so sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, like that's my cell phone, the number above that, that's office. But, you know, I don't want them in the middle of the night to just be scared or in pain yeah. and not sure what's yeah. happening. And then to call or do nothing or go to the ER and have a doctor that's never yeah. seen them, doesn't know what's going on. When usually they can call me and say, that is normal or you know that sounds a little bit scary meet me in the morning or or it's just like you know that's that's a lot let's meet in the office right now so i'd rather have that option than for them to ever go to the er and then Agreed. some doctor on call to start managing things that they don't know what they're involved with i'm like i can fix this and i can help you yeah usually with just a phone call or a picture so i'd much rather do that than hear the next day that they had something bad go wrong or have a doctor call me and say I have a patient here of yours. Oh no. Like <laughs> <laughs> I know. I agree. I do agree. Um, it might not be like my my boyfriend doesn't you know, he, he does push back a little bit on the lack of I I think I mean seven years out, I'm still trying to work on this work life balance thing. But I think it it is for my own sanity, right? Like it's my own sanity that I don't want to be paged by the ER mm -hmm. about something else when it literally could have been yeah. a quick yes or no question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That gives me more anxiety than just getting yeah. a phone call. It's yeah. just I know that they can get access to me, they're gonna be well cared for. That's that's for better for my well being. That's that's self-care to me, just yeah. to know that that's taken care of. And to not worry about those patients i'm like they have access to me mm -hmm. and i don't have to worry anymore i can sleep fine and if they need me they call me that's great yeah, that's, that's self it's self-care <laughs> that's what i will tell him it is self-care <laughs> it is fine <laughs> i am fine yeah when you're like when you're built like us it's just we we worry so much like i worry actually stop shaking your head it's fine it's like yeah, yeah. no well, it's just it's my experience with the people that i know who work in medicine is that they they will worry they will worry yeah. and it's it's worse too and i know that it's worse for the patient i know it's worse for the patient for them to go to the er to have a stranger yeah. thing when it really usually is just a quick little phone call i mean yeah you just y'all are just an interesting breed <laughs> of people thank you thank you <laughs> that's a nice way of her putting it yeah well i tell people i'm like you know this is this is why it's People are attracted to people who become doctors. It's not necessarily because of the money or the lifestyle or whatever. It's because it's attractive to be with people who want to heal and want to help and care as much as you all care. Interesting. That's interesting. I've so dating a doctor, I don't think I don't, I guess I don't think about <laughs> why people would date a doctor, but I guess I'm dating him for a reason. <laughs> He's probably just really good looking. <laughs> he fixes my bike. It's fine. That's why. That's why we're together. It's it's been twelve years. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can just buy a new bike. That's okay. Yeah, that's true. No, but it it really is like it just it's something I have to do because I I get I get I start getting worried about patients when we have to re do surgery schedules and then they have to show up late or something happens and I have emergency surgery and I have to push back the scheduled surgeries. And then those people that have family members that took time off of work and then the travel and what if they have kids that need to get picked up from school? And I'm getting nervous about all of that. 
And it's just, oh I'm like, look, Dave, you can only do so much. Just calm down. Like control over you're so doing much, the Dave. best you can, but I, I get, I get nervous for everybody. I'm just like, I want everybody to just have a good experience, show yes. up on time, be seen on time, have their questions answered, leave on time with all the information they need. And then they, their life just works well. And I just like, <laughs> I, <laughs> that, that would be nice. That would yeah. be something. So. Nice. <laughs> That's that's my goal. That's my goal. <laughs> I want to control every aspect yep. of everybody's life, so everybody's as happy as they can. He wants to be in charge ever. of all the things. So <laughs> all the things. Yeah. You should you should own a hospital, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it would it would drive me insane. Like if I was actually in charge, oh, we like, definitely get divorced. I would that for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't be around at all because I'd be trying to actually fix everything. At least right now, I can say so much is out of my power. I can only do what I can. But yeah. if I was literally in charge of it, I would just live there and ruin everything about my own life probably yeah, true your life would be the hospital yeah so i should never own a hospital either no, yeah. no, never actually no yeah. don't no. let them do it let them do it be it's a fine. surgeon until i can't take it anymore then retire and like you said i'll just mountain bike mm -hmm. yeah definitely yep. i love it <laughs> yeah. i love it well it is 11 o'clock your time so I'm oh, gonna let you go. Oh, I'm gonna wow. let yeah. I'm gonna let you go. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for doing this. Oh, it was fun. This is so cool. So, what you guys are doing. It just it must be so much fun. Like reaching out to different people. And like I love getting to know. Like you're getting to see people I know that I've just yeah. lost contact with, and mm -hmm. then there's people I've never met before. I'm like, hi, you're new. Tell me about yourself. That's, That's fun so too. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, Ashley, it was so nice to see you again. It was you're really nice. To just see you again. as gorgeous as ever. <laughs> You're too kind. I love you. I can I tell that you, you just work with women all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so good to see you guys. Let me no, know you if too. you need anything. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.